Checking in Gold Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host, back here with your co-host, Chris, the fantasy expert. And in today's show, we'll be going over fantasy football busts for the 2021 season. Guys that we think will not perform up to expectations, not perform up to hopes and dreams, who will disappoint your fantasy football teams. And unlike sleepers, these picks are less of long shots. Like the sleeper picks, we were trying to dig for deep guys who have flaws, who have the potential to break out far beyond their ADP. With busts, we're looking for guys that have a high probability of missing their current ranking. Uh, Guys who are like being drafted, like the guys that the fantasy community knows about who are going to like, are going to not hit their ADP, who we believe are going to fall below and disappoint fantasy owners in one way or another. Chris is back. This should be a fun episode. We'll have more bold takes before we do that. After the bus, we'll go over a two-minute drill involving another running back, which should be a lot of fun. He's a very, very intriguing player, and we'll talk about him at the end of the show. Um, And yeah, I know we we are actually going to do also a mock draft this episode, but we're moving that to next week. Um, for the quarterback preview, and we will have one two weeks after the quarterback preview. Or actually, I think it might be three weeks after the quarterback preview. Um, but either way, we'll have a mock draft next week, um, and then we'll have one more this offseason before we get started. Chris is back, ready for episode 76. I'm excited to be here. Chris, you doing well today? I'm doing pretty good, Calvin. Uh, I'm excited to be here for the show. Busts. It's kind of a negative topic because... This list of players that I have here, it just makes me feel gross. But uh, <laughs> I'm excited other than that. Yeah, I'm excited too. And yet, yeah, just Chris and I were imagining before the show, just having a team of these guys. I think I generally picked guys who are a little bit higher in the rankings than Chris. Yeah, Both of us to did. be good. That's the thing. Even if they <laughs> yeah, Chris like, doesn't agree with well. a lot of us. Yeah, the other thing is that we don't agree with a lot of ours. It might be a lot like the sleepers episode last week with <laughs> lots of arguments, lots of hate filled uh arguments no just kidding none of it's hate filled but um yeah this should be a fun episode and big announcement big announcement next week when you're listening to the qb preview we will have our full positional rankings published all positions every single position their rankings will be published probably on sunday night the night before so that we can get it out so you guys can check it out first thing in the morning we decided to do this because once it gets into july you guys should have access to rankings you guys should have access to the full the full top 60 at running backs and wide receivers, top 24 quarterbacks and tight ends, and then kicker and defense rankings as well in case you're doing your drafts in July. And we know one major draft that's going on in July. The Scott Fishbowl drafts begin on July 5th on that Monday. So you'll have our rankings out the morning of your Scott Fishbowl draft, and you'll be able to use them. The rankings aren't, they are for redraft leagues, which is the Scott Fishbowl is. They're not for super flex and they're not for tight end premium, but those don't really tend to make a difference because we're just doing positional for super flex leagues. I mean, you have to take into account there are other scoring um, differences in the Scott Fishbowl, like points for first down and sacks, uh, losing points and interceptions, losing more points. And then there's points that you can gain or lose based on completions. So you want guys with high completion percentage. So some of these you have to edit and then tight end premium is like tight ends get an extra 0.5 PPR points. So they have full PPR for their catches point per reception and then the rest of the guys have half but yeah we do have half ppr rankings and they are pretty they're still very usable for the scott fishbowl you just want to make some slight tweaks probably to it for Mm -hmm. that specific league if you're in it i know i mean i don't know how many listeners we have in the scott fishbowl if there are any at all but if if you are you want to use this Mm -hmm. yeah definitely especially the qb part of it i mean in this kind of super flex league but with a lot of added negatives it 
becomes really important that you select good QBs because if you end up, I mean, someone like Jameis Winston, who a few years ago put together a really great fantasy season, he definitely would not have been as good in the Scott Fish Bowl just because uh, of the interceptions. So guys that are going to be prone to interceptions and fumbles are definitely going to hurt. So you got to make sure you're finding the right guys, guys with high completion percentages too. So boosts maybe someone like Derek Carr. And uh, so I think QBs are really the core of any Scott Fishbowl team, and they need to be the the most the biggest priority for you when you're drafting. So and because they can really turn around your draft or send it for the worst. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, don't like reach on a quarterback who shouldn't be reached on. But yeah, since it's super flex, you want to get a couple of good quarterbacks. And um, yeah, I mean, just make sure you're uh, keep, keep keeping that in mind because sacks subtract points. Interceptions are minus four and pick sixes are minus six. There's a lot of different settings. It's pretty cool, actually. You should go check it out on the website. I mean, you should probably have already seen the settings by now. But if you don't, if, for, if you're in the league, but if you haven't still have a week. So go check it out and make sure you're looking at guys who can be their fantasy values can be altered. And because for sure, there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, but let's move on from that. Um, if you're not in the Scott Fishbowl, you'll just get our rankings then, and you can use them for all your drafts, your redraft drafts. And then if you can want to send us dynasty questions, you can tag us on Twitter at SGFpod, at Calvin underscore SGF, at Chris underscore SGF. You can send dynasty or redraft questions to there. It doesn't really matter. I mean, this podcast, we tended to focus on dynasty during the uh, April months and early May, April month and early May when we were uh, focusing on rookies. That was when we were doing mainly our dynasty segments, but this is moving back to redraft as redraft leagues are starting up again. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So let's get into some news before we do the bold takes. And oh, one more thing, actually, though, before uh, when the rankings are released by the QB preview episode. So next week, a week from today, you'll have the rankings. You'll also have the ranker accuracy charts. You'll be able to see who won. The ranking accuracy in 2020, spoiler, it was Chris, which was very me, disgraceful yeah. for me. It was it was pretty much total domination. Yeah, I mean, I, I did get a couple of small victories, but yeah, Chris won pretty easily in that. Um, but yeah, you can check that out. You can check out the margin of victory. Uh, his overall was 7.1%. And then you can check out the margins of victory and the winners by position as well. We've got the percentages. We had like our accuracy system. It's not like super advanced diving into coding and JavaScript and all that. It's crazy stuff, but like we just added up like how many points, how many spots off we were on players, and just kind of added it up and then put it mm-hmm. into a percentage. So it's yeah, not it, quite it's perfect, not perfect, but, it, but it, it's pretty. It good. gives a, a rough estimate. Yeah, it's pretty good. And so I mean, I've it, seen like how fantasy pros they have some secret like method with it, like some guy <laughs> with a PhD made like. Yeah. Sorry, you guys. We're teenagers. We don't have a PhD yet. So not yeah, yet. Us, I but, will uh, soon. <laughs> yeah they they give us they give you guys a rough estimate, and I mean it's. Obviously, you guys were expecting me to win, but the data just provides another point that backs it up. That I'm yeah, Chris won easily enough to where we can say, I can't say it's a fluke, which was unfortunate. But I played yeah. a bounce back this year, and you can mm-hmm. still trust. I, I still had some hits. I, it just had less than Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less hits. So. <laughs> okay, I mean, this, that's is, like this saying is embarrassing. Like, Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. All right, Anyways. news. Pittsburgh Steelers continue to demolish their offensive line, releasing 31-year-old guard David DeCastro, who's been a staple of their franchise for multiple years. Then they signed Trey Turner as a replacement at guard. I mean, this is kind of interesting. I guess DeCastro was more of a cap casualty. They saved some money on these two transactions. So it's not like they didn't replace DeCastro, which at first is what people feared and what Najee Harris truthers feared for the running game. 
But I, this specific move doesn't have as much of an impact. I'm just worried about the Steelers' offensive line because there's a lot of question marks right there surrounding. Like, there's a lot of new starters on this line. They've got rid of most of their starters now from 2020. And Najee, he'll get a lot of touches, but he might have trouble. He might end up honestly being one of the – I mean, he's such an athlete. I can't say one of the least efficient backs in the league, but I'll say he'll struggle with efficiency a lot. Maybe like sort of Joe Mixon, although Najee Harris is a better tackle breaker and better – you know, more, more of a, a little more of a physical runner than Joe Mixon. Although Joe Mixon mm-hmm. is pretty physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, it came out that David Castro was pretty much, he's been struggling with injuries and it looked like he was going to have to get another ankle surgery. So he might've missed some time. So honestly, this might be better than the offensive line and it is worse. Um, they, a saved some cap. That was obviously the big goal, but they also got rid of a player that's been prone to injuries and was, heading into a surgery. So we don't even know if he was going to be playing and that could have been a far worse situation than ending up with uh, Trey Turner. So actually I think that people are, are making this seem worse than it is. It's just kind of, I think it's just drawing attention back to the fact that the Steelers have a struggling offensive line, even though this wasn't a bad move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I guess that that's true, but yeah, it does draw attention to the fact that they already got rid of Pouncey, Villanueva, Mm -hmm. Filer, all earlier in the off season as Mm -hmm. well all veterans who are good and they didn't really do much to replace them. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, let's move on to bold takes. We had one each last week and then Chris had his bonus bold take, which was absolutely ridiculous. Um, But we'll move on. I I wish you would have added Brian Edwards to the take. It would have been so I almost did, but then I, I trusted Brian. I put Brian Edwards in my rankings last year and he did absolutely nothing. So yeah, he thinks Hunter Renfro and Henry Ruggs will score more fantasy points than Darren Waller. I have the tape. I could, Darren I could, Waller, no. Or no, 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 not Darren. Then Darren Waller. Then John Brown. Sorry. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, definitely not Darren Waller. He also said Darren Waller, which was not needed to say Darren Waller in that. Yeah, tape. I said Darren Waller, Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro will have more fantasy points than John Brown, which I stand by. John Brown will finish behind Darren Waller, <laughs> Henry Ruggs, and Hunter Renfro in this Raiders offense in terms of fantasy points. Check the tape. It's there from last week. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. That, that was me from last week. Yep. Yep. And you can find it. It's not doctored, edited in any way. But yes, that'll be playing at the end of the season and we'll get to laugh. Mm-hmm. All right. But let's move on to bold takes this week. Bold takes this week. I, I love having that just right here. I literally have like that right next to like I have the intro and outro up here. And then I just have the bold takes in a separate little palette thing that I can just click mm-hmm. and it'll play. It's so awesome. Yep. Okay, so bold takes. You want to go first, Chris, or should I? Sure, you can go first. Okay, this one's a two-parter. This one might be one of the boldest ones you'll hear. I'm starting off fiery. Last week, it was Calvin Ridley would be the fantasy football wide receiver one. I played that back, except it's like two and a half minutes long. But as was Chris's, that was sort of a bonus bold take, the one you just heard. But yeah, two-parter. Kenny Galladay will finish as a top 12 fantasy wide receiver. I currently have him ranked as the wide receiver 12. That could shift, but I don't plan on moving him outside the top 12. And he will have more top 24 wide receiver weeks than DK Metcalf. This excludes week 18. All of our predictions do because week 18 has guys sitting out. But I think Kenny Galladay, a deep ball specialist, one of the best guys in terms of a contested catch, one of the best guys in 20 plus yard receptions, Will be Daniel Jones' favorite target. Has 150 targets in the realm of possibilities here. He could, I mean, especially with the 17-game season, he's going to be one of the most targeted players, maybe top 15, top 10 in the league in terms of targets. He could even hit top five, to be honest. He's just that good. He could be the next Stephon Diggs. And 
I mean, coming with Daniel, he, he's now with Daniel Jones, which a lot of people are questioning. A lot of people are unsure whether Daniel Jones can provide Kenny Galladay fantasy value, but this is a very similar situation to last year. There are some differences with um, Josh Allen and Daniel Jones being improved by Stefan Diggs and then now being improved by Kenny Galladay, which I think will happen. But Josh Allen's deep ball talent and arm talent versus it, along with Daniel Jones, both of the guys have a lot of arm talent, which is what I'm trying to say. They can throw the ball far. They've done it since college. Allen was actually a lot less accurate than Daniel Jones was last year or two years ago in terms of deep ball passing. Jones's deep ball stats were actually really, really good. Had 39 attempts, which isn't the most ever, but completed 19 of them for 636 yards, five touchdowns and no interceptions. He had one of the highest grades of completion percentage above expectation last year, which I mean, it's just counting his weapons and different factors, how many passes he should have completed. He had one of the highest percentages of that on deep balls, improved a ton from year one to year two. And now, um, and was graded the highest deep ball pass graded deep ball passer by next gen stats last year. So this is, there's no better guy to pair Kenny Galladay with. I mean, there probably are like Mahomes, obviously, but and there's it's it's actually kind of I mean Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay really are really a perfect fit and this is why I really really expect Daniel Jones to break out along with Galladay is because of his arm talent because of his ability to get the ball to his mm-hmm. subpar receivers last year he and now he'll have a guy who he can feed and last year Daniel Jones the reason he didn't have the most deep attempts was because he became more of a conservative passer just because he was making a lot of mistakes turning the ball over although not as much on deep passes he was kind of just throwing it into too tight of windows as we saw but he became more of a game manager I expect that to change more this year because he's finally got a guy who can stretch the field make deep catches he's finally got a guy that he can absolutely pepper with targets Kadarius Tony I'm not worried about taking targets because he's a gadget guy Evan Ingram yes he gets targets but do you think gunslinging Daniel Jones prefers to throw to the, the ball to underneath stone hands Evan Ingram rather than <laughs> deep ball flashy 80 yard touchdown Kenny Gall I don't well, yeah. think so. And the thing about the thing that I'm most excited about for Kenny Galladay is, I mean, Daniel Jones has never had a really talented wide receiver. And so being one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league, he's able to get the ball into a spot where only someone like Kenny Galladay is going to reach it. And I mean, he never had a player. I feel like where if you put it in the right spot, only they can get it. They just weren't talented enough to escape the cornerback or find enough room just so deep, uh, Danny can fit it in. So I'm excited because Kenny Galladay has that massive radius. that's going to allow Daniel Jones to open up and we've seen how accurate he is. And Kenny Galladay is the perfect guy because if Daniel Jones puts it in the right spot, Kenny Galladay is one of the best jump ball receivers. So it's a really exciting combination. Um, I'm not sold just because, I mean, like you said, Calvin, Daniel Jones hasn't proved that he's great yet. And as much as people want to say, they've seen a lot of clashes with their, which there have been, he hasn't been able, been able to put together a solid fantasy season yet, but I'm definitely really excited for him next year in this combo. Yeah, I mean, I think I am I am too, obviously, as you could tell. But Daniel Jones actually wasn't like he was like around 62% completion percentage in years one and two. Not too bad, but I could def- definitely see him soar into the high 60s, much like Josh Allen did. Keep in mind, Allen's deep ball passing, his like he had like 25% deep ball completion percentage, I believe, before Stefan Diggs. Daniel Jones was at about 50%. Josh Allen's completion percentage was also much lower. It was bottom of the league. Daniel Jones's was around average or maybe slightly below average. I don't have the average off the top of my head, but it was Mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Daniel Jones doesn't have to make as much of a transformation as Josh Allen did. He just has to play smart, but he's going to start getting away with more of those throws that he puts in tight windows because Kenny Galladay is one of the best at contested catch receiving. The other argument I've seen against Galladay, one of the arguments is that, I mean, 
he's not like he's not or he's not doesn't fit the mold of the typical target hog, the possession receiver, the Allen Robinson, the slant guy, the Michael Thomas, the Devonte Adams. But that doesn't mean he can't receive targets. I think when you're a possession receiver like that, when you're a short receiver like that, it helps you'll get peppered with targets and it helps you to get peppered with targets. But just because you're a guy who's a jump ball receiver, who's not the best route runner in the world, that doesn't mean you're not going to get 150. See Julio Jones, see AJ Brown. It doesn't limit you from doing so. It's just less common because it tends to, the system tends to favor guys who are good in that area. And I'm not saying those guys aren't talented and the possession receivers that I'm talking about. I'm just saying it can favor guys who are maybe less talented to do better and get more targets. I mean, we saw with, I mean, Juju Smith Schuster, for example, still gets a lot of targets in the short area in the flat. And I don't really think he's a very complete receiver at all, but yeah, Kenny Galladay is going to be really good. Daniel Jones, like I said, or like we talked about one of the best 20 plus yard passers, in the league in the league last year and now he gets a guy he can throw to i don't think galladay is going to have it the difference i'm going to say between galladay and stefan Diggs this seasons and i'll wrap this up now is that galladay is going to have probably i mean stefan Diggs had about 130 targets i could see galladay getting more i said i said i think 150 targets is in the realm of possibility i think he'll have more targets but less receptions but more yards per catch just because he's more of a deep guy but not all of those targets are going to connect because he's not like Stefan Diggs is a better route runner. Stefan Diggs is open more often. So his targets connected more often as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, that took a long time, but we're done. And yeah, I don't know. I might cut some of that out. Cause that was very long. We'll see how long we'll be able to listen to all these 20, 20 rants that we're going to have at the end of the, I think that's just going to have to be a whole episode to be honest. Like mm-hmm. just listen to all of these. Yep. All right. Okay. You want to do your bold take? Yep. Tell me when I should go. Never. Wait. Okay. Wait like two minutes and just give them silence for two minutes and then you can go. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Go now. <laughs> Najee Harris finishes as a top eight fantasy RB. That is my bold take. Um, I believe that he's going to get 250 plus carries in throughout history. Every single RB within the last 10 years that's been drafted in the first round and gotten 250 plus carries has finished top eight. So I fully expect Najee Harris to do, to do the same thing though. He does have one of the worst offensive lines. He's got some of the best talent that we've seen. And so while I don't think that he has that top three potential that some of the first rounders did, I think that he definitely has the potential to still put together a top eight season. And that's why I have him there. He's extremely talented and uh, he's shown a lot of promise. And I mean, I think that, the Steelers are going to have to rely a little bit more on the run game than a lot of people are expecting just because I'm a little bit worried about Big Ben and he's going to be facing a lot of pressure. Um, I expect them to be looking to run a lot on first and second down and then a short yarded situation and around the red zone, Najee is one of the best uh, red zone backs. So I expect him to be solid in the touchdown department as well. So lots of things to like there. And I think it's the talent that's really pushing me through and the history that's making him a top eight RB. Yeah, I think it's a little – I mean, I understand because the history is very favorable. I still think it's it's a little too bold for me. I'm probably going to have him quite a few spots lower just because there's – partly because there's a lot of talented running backs who I like who are more proven than Najee at this point. But I think Najee can be successful in the NFL immediately for sure. He's a great athlete despite his size, very physical, can shed defenders as well as any rookie in this class not named Javante Williams. 
Javante mm-hmm. Williams. Um, he's his stiff arm is incredible. His hurdles are incredible. His general athleticism and shiftiness is also incredible for a guy of his size. I mean, there's really no hole, major holes in his game right now. And so it's understandable to think he'll contribute immediately. So I don't mind this take at all. It's just the offensive line. I feel like he'll just be a th- like, how is he going to get 400 carries and average three yards a carry? I, I don't know. I don't think I mean, mm-hmm. 400s, obviously a little high, but like it's, it's tough for me to see he's just going to be peppered with carries. I just don't know how he's going to be even Najee. I don't know how he, he's definitely not going to be an efficiency leader. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I understand the history is on your side, I suppose. All right. So that's recorded again. These will be recorded and played back at the end of the year. Let's move on to busts. Got two quarterbacks, three running backs, three wide receivers and two tight ends each that we will talk about on today's show. So would you like to start, Christopher, or should I? Yeah, you can start. My first quarterback bust is Aaron Rodgers, a guy I talked about as a bust last year and got burnt because Aaron Rodgers put up the basically the highest number. He had tied it basically with one other season or about tied it. The highest touchdown rate of his career. Touchdown rate and touchdown passes are one of the that's one of the flukiest stats you will ever find. Even the greats like Aaron Rodgers, guys who are consistently above average in that category, will still throw for five or six percent in a season in a normal year. Aaron Rodgers went up to nine percent touchdown rate. And if you don't know what touchdown rate is, we've explained it on the show before, but it's that percentage of the purse players' passes that turn into touchdowns. So for every 9% of Aaron Rodgers passes went for touchdowns, which is an incredible rate, but something that's not going to stay up there. Every quarterback who's been up there, which there've been very few Aaron Rodgers did it once himself, Lamar Jackson, probably like one or two other guys in history have all sunk multiple percentage points back to 7%. That's the ideal. I mean, usually not even seven, maybe like 5%, 6% if they're doing really well, 9% touchdown rate is just unheard of. It like, it, it's just it just means that there's like you're connecting on a lot of maybe a lot of short passes that go long that shouldn't have a lot of like deep balls that maybe the guy got burnt uh, and I'm not saying they shouldn't have happened the touchdowns I'm just saying that it's proven to be one of the stats that goes down and not only that not only is Aaron Rodgers due from regression from his 48 touchdown passes which was one of the most that we've ever seen that one of the highest totals we've ever seen he might not even play this year and I predict that Aaron Rodgers will hold out. For this season, I predict that he's not going to be traded for from the Green Bay Packers. The Packers have had their opportunities to trade him, and they aren't. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers is budging. He's been frustrated with this organization for a few years, and this is clearly the final straw. He'll leave and host Jeopardy if he has to. But I think, I mean, I think there's a very real chance that Aaron Rodgers pulls the Le'Veon Bell and holds out for this entire season. I mean, I, maybe I should record this as a bold take. Just as, I don't think we've heard talk of Aaron Rodgers holding out the whole season. I think there'll be hope he comes back, but he will hold out. And I don't see, I mean, he might not even play. Like even you're not even getting a five, you might not even get a five or 6% touchdown rate, Aaron Rodgers. You might get a 0% guy who's not even playing next year because I just think based on what we've heard, based on what we've seen, he's done, he's done with the Packers. And this is a unique situation that we've never seen before. So I could easily see him being just, or he could just retire. He could pull a Brett Favre. He could hold out the whole season. There's a very real chance that that happens. Um, I'm in disagreement with you because I think that the uh, Green Bay Packers are going to pull out the checkbook. And uh, that's my main reason. I think they're going to get They already tried. 
Did you hear the report? I, they they tried. They tried paying and, him more money refused, per year than now Patrick I think they Mahomes see this, on an Aaron extension. Wants to take this, and I think that they're going to be willing to do it because they know that he's future of their team, and they still have a championship window right now. So I can't see them giving up. It doesn't giving him up. It doesn't seem realistic to me. Jordan Love is obviously not the future. As much good stuff as you hear, you hear double the bad stuff for him. So I just I don't trust. Uh, Jordan Love enough, and I think that they realize that this is a dire situation for Aaron Rodgers, and they're going to do whatever they need to. But that's pulling out the con the checkbook and giving him two years and eighty million. I mean, they've already offered him more. They offered him reportedly an extension with more money per year than Patrick Mahomes, so probably something like three years and one hundred sixty-five million dollars. He didn't. He didn't budge. We'll see. I think that there. I. I mean, if he if he actually refused that, and that's all true, that would be pretty big. But uh, I still think that they're they it's the Packers' only chance right now, and they're in a sticky situation because giving him up in some trade wouldn't make sense either, just because they eat up all that cap, uh, all that dead dead money, and then uh, I I just think that there's going to be a way to, a way to do it. They're just going to stick by it, and they've seen persistent. The one thing is they haven't shopped him yet, and so. Until I know that they are shopping him, I'm saying he's coming back because I know that the Packers still really want him. I mean, the report, though, was like about a month and a half ago, the Athletics' Bob McGinn reported that in recent months, or I guess Mahomes made $45 million a year. In recent months, they offered him a deal to make that him the highest-paid quarterback. So it could have been $50 million a year. Three years, $150 million extension is, could have been what it was offered, and he declined. So I think they can still go more, though. Wow, I mean, I, I don't even know if it's worth it at that point. Like, I know Rodgers is just a stud. I mean, it is, though. You just got to tank for a year and move on, get the number one pick, draft oh, well, a, They don't have room to tank for a year because Devontae Adams is getting older, and you know Devontae Adams isn't isn't going to come back if they're not giving Aaron Rodgers what he wants. This team I know, is but Rod- I don't think Rodgers comes back. Right when, they see, right when the organization shows a ton of weakness, like by just giving up on Rodgers, no one's going to want to stay there, so – It'll just start a downward spiral. Okay, well, I I don't know if Rodgers is ever – I don't think Rodgers would come back. There's a point – there has to be a point where it becomes too stupid for the team to even try. Like, I don't think Rodgers – There is, but I I think that Rodgers will agree. You think $55 would do it? $60 a year for a one player? That's just an absurd amount of money. It is, but, I mean, that's what they got to do. That's what he's going to cost. And they've gotten themselves into this situation. They're the only ones that can get it out, and that's by pulling out the checkbook, and that's how this thing is going to end. Okay, well, I disagree, but we'll see. I think, but yeah, avoid Aaron Rodgers at all costs in your drafts. I'm not, I'm staying away. I'll, I'll always let someone else take him. Mm-hmm. Unless, yeah, I'm going to probably try and stay away from him unless he falls like the third round in the Scott Fishbowl, uh, just because there's too much risk, unless I hear something new that uh, is intriguing or makes me think almost certainly that he's coming back. And other than that, I'm going to stay away from him just because there is a ton of risk. Yeah, I mean, this is a hard situation, but yeah, I'm, I would avoid bust, 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 bust. All right. And then you want okay, to do your so, bust? Yeah, my bust is Cam Newton, and then my second bust is Russell Wilson. Um, these guys are both on opposite ends of the spectrum, I'd say. Cam Newton is the guy that has, I think, I just, throughout the year, I expect him to be quickly taken over by Mac Jones. And even if he doesn't, which I think a lot of people are betting on that Mac Jones sits, Cam Newton isn't that talented and he's just underperformed week after week. He might have one big game because he goes for two or maybe even three rushing touchdowns. But other than that, he's not going to provide you with much. And he's shown so much inconsistency, inconsistency as well as having a ton of injury risk. 
Mac Jones, in my opinion, is a better pickup than Cam Newton is right now. So just because of the potential, I really, even if Cam Newton is on the field, I don't expect him to do much. I don't think that the weapons is what he needs. I think that he's just, he's on the downfall and I don't think he's a good quarterback anymore. So for that reason, I'm just staying away from him and I'd rather have Mac Jones. Okay. And then your second, I'll, I'll talk oh, yeah. about them. I'll, I'll, I'll give my thoughts about them both after, but you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my second is Russell Wilson, who uh, Calvin is off of the Seahawks wide receivers. I'm off of the quarterback, especially um, just because second half of the year, he really did not perform well. Team started to figure him out, but uh, I do expect him to not be what we saw nine through 16. I think he'll, he can end up being a little bit better than that just because going back to at least having more run and maybe it's even run first. Calvin and I were debating this. I'm not going to rule out the fact that they go back to run first. I just think they have so many good weapons in the passing game that they're going to want to keep that as their first option. But uh, Russell Wilson has done better when he's had pressure taken off, off of him by the run game. So I think that'll help him, but I don't expect him to put up these massive numbers that people saw him putting up in the first half of the season. And for that reason, he's going way too early than I think he should be. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I completely agree with either of these. I understand where you're coming from, but with Newton, first of all, he's the QB 29 on fantasy pros. And I think that's a little bit misrepresented because I think there are going to be people taking shots on him in drafts, Mm. even because of that, or even despite that, because the Patriots added a lot of weapons during the off season. And because he has that rushing upside, I feel like he could end up being a little bit of a value though, at that price, just because he does have rushing upside. He'll win you a couple weeks just if you might, you might not even be able to trust him just because he's so inconsistent and it's hard to trust even based on matchups. And he's such an inaccurate passer, but with a couple tight ends as underneath options who should be open a lot, I can trust him a little bit more. And again, he runs the ball a lot. He'll run the ball in at the goal line. He'll run it in over Damian Harris, which is important. And those rushing touchdowns can win you weeks. So I don't really know. I mean, I feel like he's going a little bit cheap for that, but I mean, maybe in a little bit more casual leagues, he might be going a little higher. So I get that with Wilson. That's a guy who's going a lot higher QB six on fantasy pros. That's probably a little high for me as well, but I do think that he'll return sort of to what he did in years prior to 2020, where he doesn't throw the ball a ton. Pete Carroll wants to go back to being a run first offense in Seattle. He won't throw the ball a ton, but he will get uh, be very efficient with his passes, much like maybe a Ryan Tannehill because he's a good player and he has a lot of weapons. So he might actually be more consistent than what people expect. But I do despise Wilson's wide receivers, which I will for fantasy, which I will talk about later. Mm-hmm. Okay, who's your second bust, Calvin? Uh, actually, yeah, it's Ben Roethlisberger. And I didn't think I had like a second great bust, especially, I mean, I know Ben Roethlisberger is going late. So I guess this isn't like the best bust, but he's going higher than Newton. He's going at quarterback 22. And there are people, especially in more casual leagues who will take chances on the, um, name value, the name value. I just think that, I mean, again, I didn't have another guy who was like super high up who I'm like really fading, but uh, Roethlisberger is a guy I definitely will fade because what's ha- sustained in aging Ben Roethlisberger in recent years from being wiped off the map, like even a couple, two or three years ago, he was the quarterback three in fantasy. It's because he consistently is top of the league or near top in pass attempts because ever since Le'Veon Bell left, this team hasn't had a good running game. And I mean, even when Bell was there, Bell caught a lot of passes and he was, I mean, he, he was, didn't I, I, if I'm, I guess, no, there were some years where he did get the workhorse role inside. I guess I'm just mainly referring to the, uh, last couple of years because yeah, Le'Veon Bell definitely was a workhorse. I'm mainly referring to the last couple of years without uh, Le'Veon Bell where Ben Roethlisberger has been. And I guess it's been three since he held out that one year where Ben Roethlisberger has been throwing the ball a lot 
and getting tons of fantasy points. This offense is going to change this year. They finally addressed the running game. I know they've torn down their offensive line, but Chris, you said you thought Najee Harris could get 250, 300 carries, and I think that's a very, very realistic projection. The Steelers overall ran the ball not very much last year. I think it was about 350, 375, 175 times total. I think that'll increase by at least 50 carries next year, which will and which will give Ben Roethlisberger less room to succeed. Not only that, he's got a guy like, I mean, other than Deontay Johnson, who drops the ball, a DC, he has problems with drops. He's got Juju Smith-Schuster, who is kind of, I mean, he's, he's he makes his hay underneath in the flat in like five-yard gains, which isn't great for a fantasy player's efficiency. Deontay has problems with drops, so if you pepper him with targets, he might not be the most efficient with them. And then Chase Claypool is a dominator, but with Juju planning to line up on the outside next year, which stinks so bad, like at least somewhat chase Claypool may not have the most amount of snaps either, especially and now that this offense will go to more of a run first team. And they're not going to try to rely on Roethlisberger's arm as much as they have. Ben is just going to be, he's not really going to put up any fantasy relevant weeks at all. Maybe a couple throughout the whole season, but there's just really no point in trusting him when there's going to be much better guys available on the waiver wires week to week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you. I just think that the volume is going to drop and Ben is getting older. He's definitely out of his, I'm a lot of it. And, uh, I don't like Juju that much. His wide receiver core, I think, is overrated a little bit. And so uh, just he's going to be under a lot of pressure, too. I just there's a lot of things that could go wrong here. Hey, guys. So at this point in the recording, we had to stop and finish the rest of it another day. Chris was on vacation and he was busy, but we had uh, we squeezed out some time to do the rest of the recording. So Chris is in a different place, which is why he's talking a lot softer, presumably. So. We finished up the rest of the show. Chris had to go for like the last couple of minutes, but it's still a good show. You should continue listening. And uh, but th- just letting you know why it sounds a little bit different, though, uh, why Chris is talking softer is because he is in a new place from the rest of the show um, because we had to stop in the middle. So uh, continue. feel free to continue listening if you want to hear the rest of our busts. All right. So let's move on to running backs now. We've got three each, like I said before, at the be- I, I think I might have said it at the beginning of the show. But we got three running backs each that we're going to talk about who we think we're, are going to bust. And I will start. I'll go first with mine this time. My first running back who I think is going to bust is Mike Davis of the Atlanta Falcons. He signed there this offseason, as you probably know. Davis is in seems to be in a good situation. He doesn't really have much competition as the starting running back. But last year, when he didn't have that competition in Carolina, he started off really well, caught a lot of passes, was a good three down back. And then after that, really sort of regressed. It really seemed like a case of fresh leg syndrome for Mike Davis in to me, where he started off well, started off putting up points, but then became really inefficient. And I just think that proves that he doesn't really there's a reason he hasn't been a starting running back for most of his career. And now that he's in Atlanta, Atlanta hasn't brought in anyone to address the position. I expect this team to be really, really pass first. And I think Davis can produce at the beginning of the season, but after a while, he's just not going to be a consistent start. Sort of like maybe how Melvin Gordon was in the middle of the year last year before the, before the end and before his strong beginning where he just was really mad and really inefficient. Davis is currently the RB 24 on fantasy pros. I just feel like there's higher upside options that you can grab later for a guy that'll actually help you win your league. Like Javante Williams, who's five spots back Raheem Mostert, who's four spots back. Even Damian Harris, maybe he's not that high upside, but he's eight spots back. I'd rather have Damian Harris at his price than Mike Davis. Um, I, and I just, while there's not a lot of hype around him right now, I feel like as we go into the summer, we've already been seeing some increased hype for Mike Davis, just because he's the only guy there. But I think 
expectations should at the very least be tempered. I don't think he has a ton of upside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that there's just players with much more upside. Mike Davis wasn't a good back until he broke on, out onto the scene. Now people think he's some kind of really crazy, like super uber talented back. But I just think that as the season goes on, he's going to wear down. And this whole Falcons offense isn't going to be putting up many points. So that's going to make it tough for him to find the end zone. Mm-hmm. So your first guy is J.K. Dobbins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins, it's really just a workload thing. Like, I mean, he's got so much competition between Lamar Jackson and then you've got Gus Edwards. They've got new receivers coming in. I just don't think there's enough room for a ton of rushes to go around. So while he is super talented, I feel like there's just he's not going to get enough workload to even with his maybe high efficiency numbers. It's still not going to matter because he's not going to get enough enough touches. And so people have him in like their top 10 back consideration or something. I just think that's way too high because um, there's too many mouths to feed in this offense. And even though it's going to be a high scoring offense, it's mainly going to go to Lamar Jackson. I'd imagine Gus Edwards has been good in the red zone as well. And now they've got some new weapons to throw to. So I just expect this team to kind of not be able to give Dobbins the tough, that the touches that he would probably be able to get on another team. Yeah. It's it's fair. Yeah, I don't I don't think he has a ton of upside. P- owners who are drafting him are probably hoping for that top 10 upside. I don't really see it. He is the RB16 on Fantasy Pros, which isn't that bad of a ranking. But at the same time, I mean there's definitely some he's definitely going to go higher in many drafts. He has some good touchdown upside. He's not like I don't know if he'll necessarily bust like at his fan current ranking but if you're drafting him for high upside I'd say he definitely will because while he has touchdown upside you're right like Ravens RBs in that offense never it's not they're not going to be workhorses because first of all they run do running back by committee and second of all they also have Lamar Jackson who's gonna take a ton of the rushing attempts even though Baltimore is one of the higher volume rushing off offenses there is it's just I still don't see it because I mean, Edwards has had 130 carries or more in every single season of his career. They signed him to a $5 million a year extension. That's not changing. They know how good their offense has been with Edwards. They know, I mean, you saw it last year. Dobbin, there's a reason Dobbins averaged six yards a carry last year, and it's partly because Gus Edwards was there to also be a, a change of pace guy and take the pressure off. So Dobbins is going to be efficient, probably a little bit inconsistent, Reli- a little bit reliant on touchdowns. And yet, so I can sort of get behind the pick. Although at RB16, I don't really mind him, I would say. Mm-hmm. All right. My next guy is Chase Edmonds, a guy I've talked about a lot throughout the offseason. Good pass catcher. Terrible between the tackles and currently fantasy pros is RB26. We know there's a lot of Edmonds truthers out there. If you're on fantasy football Twitter, you probably have seen a lot of Chase Edmonds truthers, especially. I mean, the talk has sort of died down, but early in the offseason, before James Conner, there was definitely a lot of hype. Cliff Kingsbury said that Chase Edmonds is capable of handling the starting role. I don't buy it at all, because whenever he has handled the starting role in the past, he's maybe had some fresh legs syndrome games where he goes off, but when he's handled it for multiple games at a time, he has been inefficient and bad. They brought in James Conner, who is often injured and very inefficient, but still better between the tackles than Edmonds. Edmonds is built to be a third down back. To be honest, like last year, we saw him be very, very productive with receptions, get some long gains. He caught a few passes like he was always involved on third downs behind Kenyon Drake. He's a great pass catcher, but it's not his role to be between the tackles. He's not a physical enough runner. He's not especially big of a back, and he's just not like 
that that's not the role he has okay. been meant to play throughout the first couple of years of his career. And that's not the role the Cardinals have given him for good reason. I'd expect James Conner to easily have the majority of rushes. Uh, Chase Edmonds will obviously take the majority of pass catching work, but he has no upside for me at all. Like I don't even see a top 24 finish in the cards for Chase Edmonds, unless there were like multi tons of catastrophic injuries, like guys behind him, Raheem Moster, Javante Williams, James Robinson, Ronald Jones, Damian Harris. Yeah. Those are guys I'm always taking over Chase Edmonds. So, uh, Chris, I know you were a little higher on Edmonds earlier in the off season. Has that changed at all? Or are you just kind of male on him now? Or what do you think? Um, I think that he has some value, but I just, I'm, I'm agree with you. I don't know if he can be a true number one. So it makes him a little bit nerve wracking for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm not getting him at that RB 26 price. There's no way. Like even James Connor, I'm, I'll check my rankings as where I, as to where I have it. I think I have those two very close. I might have had Edmonds higher because of the pass catching work, but he's not going to have the majority of carries. He's not going to be what people hoped. He never was going to be what people hoped, even if he was the full-on... Like, if he was the full-on starter there, he would be even worse of a pick, in my eyes, just because, like, he, he doesn't even have anyone else to help potentially help his efficiency. Now he's being faded a little more because of Connor. But even so, RB26 on Fantasy Pros, he's my RB34, even behind Gus Edwards. He's Mr. 700 yards, 130 attempts. I'll take that over Chase Edmonds right now, just because Edwards has more consistency. And I feel like if... if uh, if Dobbins goes down, Edwards isn't the greatest in terms in that starting role, but he'll be better than what Edmonds would be if Connor went down. Mm -hmm. Okay, and your next guy, Devin Singletary. Yeah, Devin Singletary is disgusting for next year. I feel like no yeah. upside at all, even at his RB42 price. Mm -hmm. People still want to rank him inside their top 60, but I don't think he's, he's even going to find that for me. He's struggled at times with efficiency, and now he's got Zach Moss moving in. I need to have a role that severely declines going forward this season mm -hmm. yeah he's just i mean we i think we've seen that zach moss is the starter he's the guy with i mean there's not much touchdown upside for these running backs but if there is uh it's going to be for zach moss singletary is a good player but mm -hmm. just it's a guy i'm avoiding for fantasy um mm -hmm. and then do you want to talk about your last guy or i guess i can go first uh right, Mike, okay okay are you you want to go Sure, and okay. my last guy is Josh Jacobs, and this is just a mess of the situation. I've talked about it in past podcasts. They basically eliminated their offensive line by trading away like Gabe Jackson, and then they used the extra cap space that they had freed up to sign Kenyon Drake. It's just I don't know if they trust Josh Jacobs, and then even if they do, he's, they're still going to get Kenyon Drake involved. Kenyon Drake is still a solid RB but they also don't have an offensive line to run behind. So even if they do trust him, he's not going to do that well, but I really think that this team doesn't have much faith in him. Yeah, he was. you owned him in Dynasty. I guess you've traded him away by now, but yeah, they cut Rodney Hudson. Gave, we got rid of Gabe Jackson, like you said, and they didn't really build up their offensive line other than getting Alex Leatherwood, which was a reach in the draft. They instead signed Kenyon Drake. This is a brutal offseason for Josh Jacobs. He was already an inefficient running back who didn't get very many big plays. Definitely understand it. I mean... RB21 price, I'll probably be looking for a guy like Miles Gaskin over Jacobs, but I don't mind that price as much. But there are definitely people who still look for that upside in Josh Jacobs. And I mean, it's it still could be there. It's just there's a lot of concerns. So I don't I'm not maybe not totally on this pick, but I think because I think if he's with another guy, another like Kenyon Drake to take pressure off him, that should help. 
his status a little more. So I don't mind the pick, but I'm not like full on the Josh Jacobs bus train at his current price. Like I wouldn't mind him at RB21. Okay. And my last guy is Michael Carter at running back. Uh, Chris and I had our disagreements. In fact, before the show, uh, we had our big Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman debate where I, I think Tevin Coleman, I genuinely think Tevin Coleman has more upside than Michael Carter and will be better than Michael Carter in year one. They signed Coleman to a cheap deal. I know, but Coleman in his full seasons has always ran for four yards a carry or more in 2018, his breakout year, he had 4.8 a carry last year. I mean, he was very, very bad. He was struggling with injuries buried on the depth chart and he rarely saw the field, but I can, I think last year could sort of be thrown out. Now you've got Coleman in New York as a veteran guy where New York really doesn't have anybody else. I mean, yeah, LaMichael P. Ryan is there, but he's a holdover from a previous coaching staff. I don't expect much from him. He might even be cut, to be honest. They got Michael Carter in the fourth round of the NFL draft. And while he's shown some good things in minicamp, fourth round running backs are almost never working out. They almost never work out in the NFL, especially in year one. The veteran Tevin Coleman will be the starter in week one. If he plays well enough, which I think he can, I think he could hold on to the role for the whole year. Injuries are a concern for him, but I think he's the better running back right now, unless Michael Carter breaks out, which, which like we've seen I mean, yeah, from so running backs. I don't understand how you started your statement by saying that, that Tevin Coleman has more upside than Michael Carter. There's no way. I mean, if he starts the whole season, I think he has more upside. Well, We've seen the, Kevin Coleman no, have what do you big mean? games. If his upside is him starting the whole season and doing solid. Michael Carter could be a breakout RB running behind a good offensive line. I don't think he could be a breakout. I feel like Michael Carter. Why can't he? Michael Carter's like upside, upside is starting the whole season, starting most of the season and doing solid. I'd say Tevin Coleman. The upside is definitely more because even if you don't think he's going to be a breakout, there's still a chance that he could be, and that makes him much more intriguing prospect. I mean, I feel like that's just a little bit of rookie fever, though. Like, what have we seen? I mean, we've seen some. We uh, like he caught a pass. Look at Antonio Gibson. Would you? His upside was what? What he did last year. Antonio Gibson was was a day two back. Antonio Gibson was a day two back who fell because of his limited workload in college. He was clearly talented enough to be a second round pick, but he was just he dropped to the early third because I mean he was like the second pick of the third round. I know Michael Carter was the second pick of day three. But there's, I mean, there's a difference. Day day two and day three, teams have had time to, you know, reset their draft strategies, reevaluate. It's sort of, it's not as like on on the fly. I mean, it's obviously not on the fly for day two either because they prepared for a while. But there is a difference between like a fourth round running back. When you fall to the fourth round, day two guys tend to have that breakout upside that you're talking about. I just don't see it. Like it's like Amon Ross St. Brown in uh, Detroit. Yes, he's like the only guy there, but he's a fourth round wide receiver. There's a reason he dropped to the fourth round because he's not that great of a wide receiver. And he had some flaws even in college. Like, mm-hmm. do you think Amon Ross St. Brown has upside to break out? I don't. Yeah. You do? Yes. Like, he's upside, a rookie, Calvin. How, how much? How much upside? Calvin, there's a reason why some people's draft strategy is to draft one good RB and then draft like four different rookies because they all have tremendous upside because they're rookies. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I feel like Carter's upside isn't that much more though. It's like in year two or three in Dynasty, yes, maybe. What? But he's a project. That's like a day three guy isn't going to break out in year one. Even day two guys, talented guys like Antonio Gibson and Cam Akers, didn't break out till the end of the season. I don't expect a day three guy to break out in his first season. I think this is Tevin Coleman's year. <laughs> as stupid as it sounds, I think this is Tevin Coleman's year. But 
Michael Carter's okay. the better pick in Dynasty. This maybe I'll put this on bold takes in a couple of weeks, but I, I just don't see it. I don't see the upside for Michael Carter at all. Like, especially if you're in Dynasty, this might even be the best time to sell him because I like I while I said, I mean, I he definitely can get better in year two and year three. It's just you can, you can still capitalize on the rookie fever now. If you're trading him in Dynasty, you're trading him to people who expect him to be good in a couple years. So they see that same upside that you could possibly see. So you can still get some good value out of him. But yeah, in, in redraft, I'm not like, I'm not taking him. Uh, it's just RB37, not a bad price, but Gus Edwards is behind him. AJ Dillon, Kenyon Drake, Trey Sermon, um, maybe even Tony Pollard, probably not Tony Pollard, but those guys are close. A couple of them are better for me than Michael Carter, who's currently, I think, my RB41. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll, okay. We'll, we'll disagree. We'll see what happens, though. Want to move on and to I, wide receivers? At wide receiver, I wanted to talk about my first two guys kind of together because I feel like they're very similar. They're guys that have a lot of upside, sort of similar play styles that can be really good deep threats, but I feel like they're not the top wide receivers on their team. And then they also have questionable quarterback situations. And those two guys are Debo Samuel and Chase Claypool. And for one, Debo has Brandon Ayuk. I'd say he's at the top of the depth chart. And Chase Claypool has uh, Juju and Deontay Johnson, who I feel like are both ahead of him on depth Juju, chart. Juju, so undeservingly like they're, so, but they're yes. Just, they're limited in their workload. And then there's also shaky quarterback play that I don't trust. So that's my main reason for putting these two guys on here. I think they both actually have a, a good bit of upside because they've shown that they have a ton of talent. And if the quarterback situation works out for either of them, they could break out on the scene. But uh, I think they also have a very high chance of busting more than a lot of people think, just because there's a lot of things that could go wrong, whether it's they don't get enough targets or their quarterback play falters and they're this te- a team isn't throwing as much and they're not getting into the end zone as much because being a wide receiver three or wide receiver two on a team, you need to have a good quarterback play and a scoring offense. And I feel like that's both the Steelers and the 49ers could struggle with that. Yeah. And then the Steelers are also going to be running the ball a lot more with the 49ers. I don't know if I like the Debo pick as much. I like the Chase Claypool pick the Debo pick. I think I understand the uncertainty with Trey Lance. He might get in before the end of the season, but Debo does get his touches manufactured for him. He will get touches near the line, and he knows how to make plays with them and be explosive. At wide receiver 34 price, I don't really mind it. Like Brandon Cooks, Tyler Boyd, Will Fuller, Jerry Judy, guys behind him, like maybe I'll take them over Debo, but it, I feel like like if I, there's, I still think there's a good chance that Jimmy Garoppolo plays this whole season, and if he does, Debo can be a wide receiver too, potentially for your team. Chase Claypool, though, at wide receiver 31 price, I really don't like this. I mean, Juju, like, like they're going to run the ball a lot more. Like you said, he's behind Juju and he's behind uh, Deontay Johnson on the depth chart. We know Johnson's going to be the one. We know Juju's going to get his six five-yard passes and he's going to have his seven receptions for 38 yards. So, and we know they're going to run the ball. So that's going to take away from Chase Claypool. And on top of that, which just really stinks for this whole team, Juju is going to line up on the outside apparently this year again, which he's already proven he's bad at. He's already, despite his size, he's not a good outside receiver. So that just means that Chase Claypool is not going to be a full-time starter if they're going to line him up there, which, I mean, maybe he will once they realize that Juju doesn't belong on the outside. But if he's not going to start full-time, there's just not going to be as many opportunities for big plays. So it's not going to be trust. You're not going to be able to trust it. He's an insanely talented player, like you said. But, like, it's just, 
it's such a bad situation right now, especially, yeah, Ben Roethlisberger's on his last legs. He's going to th- – I mean, he still has some arm arm strength and arm talent, but it's just – he seems to like checking down to Juju and just looking to Deontay for 140, 150 targets. So I don't know if there's much space for Claypool, especially with Najee Harris now coming in. Najee will also catch a lot of passes in year one because of check downs and he's a good pass catcher. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so let's see. Um, let's move on. Do you want me to do mine now? Or I can do my first two. Okay, my first guy, oh man, this is going to get a lot, this is, a lot of people don't like this, including Chris. DeAndre Hopkins is a bust. And yes, DeAndre Hopkins will still be really, really good. Yes, DeAndre Hopkins will still be a wide receiver one in fantasy. At wide receiver four price, though, I'm not taking that. I am not taking DeAndre Hopkins over my wide receiver one, Calvin Ridley, who is ranked behind DeAndre Hopkins. I Really don't understand this. We saw Kyler have Murray have an historic season last year for fantasy football. Kyler Murray is a budding superstar. Kyler Murray threw the ball a ton last year, but DeAndre Hopkins just didn't have the consistency that we should have expected from him. Uh, Way too many games with two receptions, three receptions, four targets, five targets. That's not what you want in your wide receiver one. Yes, he sometimes made big plays in those games to make up for it, but other times he was just a bust for your fantasy team. He didn't have a consistent target share, and Kyler Murray didn't show a willingness to consistently target a number one wide receiver as much as Aaron Rodgers will with Devontae Adams, as much as Justin Herbert will with Keenan Allen. I will take A.J. Brown's explosiveness with Ryan Tannehill's efficiency over DeAndre Hopkins. I'll take Justin Jefferson's 1,400-yard rookie season with Kirk Cousins, a guy who is going to target him. I'll take that over DeAndre Hopkins. I won't take DK, but I'll take Calvin Ridley, who has an incredible touchdown upside, the only guy there, and was incredible without Julio last year. Uh, I'll take that with Matt Ryan over DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, there's even other guys who are in contention. Like, I would say Hopkins is probably, like, I'm I'm trying to remember where I ranked him. I think he's currently my, like, wide receiver seven or eight. I'm just not taking him in the early second round or the mid-second round where he's currently ranked. But if you play in leagues where they – if you play in point per first down leagues, first down leagues – there's an it was interesting because Hopkins was actually one of the best wide receivers at picking up first downs last year. So if you play in those, give him a little boost because Hopkins does catch a lot of passes at the sticks, 15 yards, 20 yards. So he's a little bit better in those. I don't mind him as much. But in non-point per first down leagues and just a regular half PPR, no bonuses, nothing like that, I'm avoiding him. He's currently actually behind Michael Thomas in my rankings. So my wide receiver eight next year mm-hmm. yeah you provide a, con- a convincing case but I just think that he's gonna I mean there's so much consistency there and like you said they're gonna look for him when they need a first down when they need a play and so um I think that that still puts him in in I think that still sets his fantasy value pretty high oh yeah no he's still great he's still elite but I'm not taking him at his price I'll mm-hmm. take him maybe late second probably early third round is when I would take DeAndre Hopkins he's an absolute stud great wide receiver like the thing about, like, it's a misconception in the community. Busts don't have to be bad. It's like DeAndre Hopkins is the biggest example of this. He's going to be elite. He'll easily be a top 12 receiver. Like, uh, he's not going to fall behind, like, Mike Evans or, like, Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb. He's an elite player. He's even in the same tier as someone like Keenan Allen or maybe even, my, like, Michael Thomas, that kind of tier. But 
when they're six, they're like those main six guys that I mentioned, Calvin Ridley, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, have that upside that DeAndre Hopkins doesn't seem to have. And when you, when your quarterback has like that historic type of incredible passing pace that Kyler Murray had, and you still don't produce like a top five, top three receiver. Although even, even if you produce close to that, if you don't produce like a top three receiver, that's a little bit like he shouldn't be going at wide receiver four. He shouldn't be going that high at the top of tier two where fantasy pros currently has him. Mm-hmm. And then, so I guess I could do my second guy and then you can do your third. Um, so yeah, my second guys, these are two that I combined together, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And I, I meant to talk about Metcalf a little bit earlier, actually during my bold take, these guys are going to bust. I currently have DK Metcalf as my wide receiver 15. Why? I think DK Metcalf will finish higher than wide receiver 15. Let me clarify that. I think DK Metcalf will probably be a top 12 wide receiver in fantasy points. But that doesn't necessarily mean he should be a top 12 wide receiver for your team. Just look at Tyler Lockett last year. Tyler Lockett finished as the wide receiver 9. I guess if we're counting weeks 1 through 17, uh, if we're saying, let's just say weeks 1 through 17 for the basis of this, because he played week 17. I normally don't like to use week 17, but I have these stats off the top of my head. Tyler Lockett finished as the wide receiver nine in weeks one through 17 last year. He had three top 24 fantasy weeks all season, three weeks where he deserved to be in your wide receiver one or wide receiver two spot. With that that little amount of weeks, you were either starting him a bunch through putrid one catch performances or like mediocre wide receiver three, wide receiver four performances, or you missed out and benched him when he had his incredible like light of the world on fire. His week 17 performance he put up like 28 fantasy points he put up 45 in one game and then he had one other top 24 week that was it for Tyler Lockett last year it was kind of the same story for DK Metcalf except that was only in the second half of the year for him in the first half he was actually quite good he was one of the best receivers in the league because of the volume coming from Seattle's offense but not only did Seattle's offense get figured out at the end of last year Russell Wilson started turning the ball over. The the high passing volume was just not working for this team. Now they're going to go back. Pete Carroll has pledged to go back to a run-first offense. This means probably more efficiency and less turnovers for Russell Wilson, which, like I talked about earlier, which is why I don't mind him that much in fantasy. But it also means not enough pass attempts for this offense. We've seen Wilson likes to throw to the tight end. They paid Gerald Everett money to be their tight end one. Like they're clear tight end one and Wilson should give him plenty of targets next year. They drafted Dwayne Eskridge in the second round as a wide receiver. This is not a guy that they're sitting out all year one. They picked him in the second round ahead of Terrace Marshall. So they're, they plan to play Dwayne Eskridge this year. Not only, like, I mean, even without these guys, we still saw DK be incredibly inconsistent last year. We still saw that with Tyler Lockett. Now they're going to run the ball more probably be better with Wilson will be better with his passes, more efficient, more yards per attempt, less turnovers, but there it's just, there's not enough space, too many weapons. DK is currently my wide receiver, 15 Tyler Lockett. I've put down 32 wide receivers and he's not among them. He'll probably be even lower for me. Like I'm avoiding these guys at all costs. And now you can see earlier why I predicted that Kenny Galladay will have more top 24 weeks than DK Metcalf. I really don't think this is, shouldn't be a bold take at all, but Clearly, it really is based on DK being the wide receiver six on fantasy pros and Galladay being like the or the wide receiver seven, I think, and Galladay being the wide receiver 22. So, yeah, overall, avoid DK, avoid 
Tyler Lockett. I guess he's the wide receiver six, actually, DK. And Galladay's actually 23, so even further apart. But yeah, I hate these guys next year for fantasy. Two of my absolute, like, if you're going to avoid anyone, avoid these guys at all costs. I'm telling you. I, mm-hmm. This has to be a subject of another. Yeah, I don't like later. Russell Wilson either for many of the same reasons that you stated. So, yeah, I'm in agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, again, the one thing about Wilson, I feel like he could be like it, he's put up production in the past, just being an efficient guy who doesn't throw the ball like an absolute ton. So I don't mind. Like, if you want to take Wilson, sure, go ahead, especially since he's not like rising in price a ton right now. But I can see your concern there as well. <laughs> All right. You want to do your last guy at wide receiver before we go to tight end? Yeah, my last guy is Marvin Jones and possibly DJ Chark. They're two guys that I'm saying I'm staying away from both of them just because I think LaVisca is the really only one with super high upside. I think the other two are going to be limited uh, because I don't think that their wide receiver have as much wide receiver one capabilities as people think. And so um, I just expect LaVisca to kind of take over. And I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to like to throw LaVisca. This team isn't going to be some high-scoring team either just because they got Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. So I still expect them to not be great on the offensive side of the ball, and I don't think there's enough room for three wide receivers to go around. So I'm kind of staying away from both. I'm staying away from Chark. I agree with that. I mean, maybe not like at his – he is pretty low of a price, so maybe not like as much of a stay away for me as to in terms of like I'm not like on the Chark true thing like train. I just – I mean, but the coaching staff has talked him down. At wide receiver 30, that's probably a little high for me. So, yeah, I guess I am staying away from, from DJ Chark. But I don't understand what you don't like about Marvin Jones. Last year, when Kenny Galladay got hurt, Marvin Jones was producing top 12 fantasy numbers. Yes, of course, I mean, that includes, like, when plenty of players were hurt, obviously. So, you, it's not, like, actual top 12 numbers. But he was, bored, like, top 10, top 12 receiver when Kenny Galladay was out during those last few weeks of the season. Marvin Jones has proven all he's needed to prove in his career. The last thing he needed to prove was that he could be a wide receiver one in an offense and handle the wide receiver one pressure and the workload. And he proved that I feel like he's the most talented wide receiver in this room. Maybe LaVisca Chenault can get better, but LaVisca is a very unproven prospect right now. And Marvin Jones, I feel like he's a better receiver. Like LaVisca is more of us like a slot guy. I don't know if he's equipped to handle a huge workload like Marvin Jones could on the outside. I feel like Trevor, this is the guy that Trevor Lawrence is going to want to throw to. Um, he's going to be the next Justin Ross for him. I mean, obviously not like in terms of talent. He's not, I wouldn't say as talented as Justin Ross, but the next Justin Ross, the next Mari Rogers, Cornell Powell, just that guy that Trevor Lawrence goes to and Marvin Jones, because he's just consistent. He's consistently solid. Mm-hmm. He was actually on the sleepers episode last week for me because at his price, like you're avoiding Marvin Jones at his wide receiver 48 price. You would take Michael Gallup, Marquise Brown, Devontae Parker, LaVisca, Corey Davis, Jarvis Landry. You take those guys ahead of Marvin Jones? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, this is going to be a debate. We're going to disagree. I'll make a, I'll make a Marvin Jones bold take later on because I, I think you're the one who's more near consensus with this. But, like, guys behind Marvin Jones, Mike Williams, Michael Pittman, Jalen Waddell, T.Y. Hilton, Cole Beasley, Darnell Mooney, Jalen Rager, Nelson Aguilar, not John or John Brown, who's a stud, but like for most of those guys, guys, there's like a tier, there's a huge and, uh, tier break between those I'd guys. I have and all Marvin those Jones. guys, and except for Darnell Mooney and uh, John Brown, over. You would take Marvin all of those guys except Darnell Mooney and John Brown mm-hmm. over Marvin Jones. Ooh, so you're oh, so you are definitely low. I guess you're even you're lower than I thought. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. that makes sense because you have him as a bust. I mean, what's not to like though? Why can't he be the wide receiver one in Jacksonville? 
because they've got so many young guys, and, and LaVisca is playing so well in training camp right now. Like, the team is raving about him. I okay, well, even if LaVisca breaks out, they can handle two good wide receivers. No, I they can't. I think can't. DJ Chark they is the can't. odd man out here, not Marvin Especially Jones. with ETN taking over a receiving role, too. I, I think we've seen – we saw the Cincinnati do it last year. Joe Burrow handled T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, getting them both production, and Joe Mixon was also on the field being in a workhorse role. They can do it. I just no, have but Lawrence is, is like in the thing of a prospect. Anyways, and they still have to get DJ Chark some touches. Who's your third, Calvin? But the, 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 Urban Meyer himself, debate that will come back. To. Urban Meyer himself talked down DJ Chark in, I guess it was, I know it was in January, but he talked about how DJ Chark needs to play more physical. DJ Chark needs to be like, he needs to mm-hmm. get better. He needs to stop playing. Well, but small. you just said that you like Chark. I, I, no, I didn't say I liked him. I originally was looking to see, like, I, I said I didn't know if I'm necessarily fading him, but then at his wide receiver 30 price, like, I'll take Robbie Anderson, Debo Samuel, Brandon Cooks, Tyler Boyd, uh, Will Fuller over DJ Chark. So, yeah, I am fading DJ at his wide receiver 30 price. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my, uh, let's see. So I guess I got to do my last guy. <laughs> I, I'm so predictable, Chris. Juju Smith-Schuster, do not draft! Wide receiver 32 price is way too high. Do not draft Juju Smith-Schuster. I've literally talked about this since we started this podcast. It's now 15 months later, and there are still Juju Smith-Schuster truthers out there in the ether. It is incredible how he maintains fantasy value in managers' eyes. We saw all we needed to see in 2019 with, I know, bad quarterback play. Juju was hurt for some of that. But when he was healthy, when he was on the field, playing as the alpha, quote-unquote, because he's not that. He's a slot receiver. Juju Smith-Schuster was incredibly unproductive. Defense has finally keyed in on him. Why do you think he had a breakout season in 2018? Because he had the best receiver in the league at the time, Antonio Brown, lining up on the opposite side. When you have Antonio Brown on the opposite side of you, you can do amazing things. That's what Juju Smith-Schuster did. He's... We've shown like the um the splits between his outside numbers and his slot numbers. He has always been better in the slot, which shows, I mean, he's not a dominator. He's not a separator. He's not a contested catch guy. He's not a deep ball guy. What he does, he's a short to intermediate slot receiver. He's good at that, but he is not what Pittsburgh wants him to be. He's not what the fans wanted out of Juju. And maybe people are expecting too much. This guy kind of came out of nowhere to really be a good breakout. I mean, People should be happy with what they've gotten from Juju Smith-Schuster, but he is not a fantasy producer. In an offense where Deontay got 144 targets last year, probably gets above 150 this year because, or maybe not above 150, he'll, he might get around the same because of Najee Harris. Of the 17-game season, Deontay Johnson will still have a lot of targets. Najee Harris will get his. Chase Claypool, he won't get a ton like we mentioned because he'll be a part-time role, but He's good enough to get open and dominate and get some targets. Juju's targets will be close to the line. He'll have a lot of those 7 for 38 games that we saw. And then he'll just have a lot because this offense is going to become way more run heavy than they have been. People don't realize, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger for the last couple of years has also been throwing the ball as much as like any quarterback in the league. Now with Najee Harris, their attempts are going to go up. Like I think I even said this earlier this show by at least 50 attempt rushing attempts for Pittsburgh. That's going to leave Juju as the odd man out here. Wide receiver 32 major fade at that price he is not good as an alpha he's not a real alpha avoid avoid i will say this until my dying day and i sound like a broken record but 
avoid. Juju Smith-Schuster bust season again. Again. I was right last year, and people still like him. People make excuses. They made excuses for his quarterback play in 2019. They made excuses. They said, oh, when this 39-year-old comes back, he'll be good again. He wasn't. It's not happening. It's over. Juju Smith-Schuster is not a good fantasy option. Okay. That was a brutal. At tight end. You want to <laughs> no, move mean, on to tight end? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, one last thing. I mean, I don't hate Juju as a guy or like as a, he's a solid receiver. The reason, I mean, I sound so angry mainly because it's just, he's so misrepresented by the fantasy community. It's agonizing. And I've talked about him for so long. It's very, I mean, keep, keep, Keep drafting Juju, guys. Keep getting a bust. Just keep doing it. I'm fine with it. I don't have to be the one who drafts him. But yeah, sorry, you can move on. Uh, do you want to go first for your tight ends? It's John Smith, and I mean, the reason I'm against him is I just think that they're that I don't they, I don't like this tight end set with unbreak quarterback play. So I mean, I just don't think that there's targets to go around with, it, and there's a bad quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, sorry, you you had like a few glitch noises there, but I think I got the gist of what you were saying. It's fair. I think you said like, in terms of like, yeah, bad quarterback play, Cam Newton playing quarterback is not going to result in a lot of pass attempts for this team. If Mac Jones starts, I could see things changing. And, but I I think you also said like, a lot of people just assume that John New Smith is going to be the better tight end there. So do I, like over Hunter Henry because of John New Smith's superior athleticism. But I think you have said in the past, that you think, I mean, or I guess you said this before the show that you thought people were underselling Hunter Henry as well, which I think is fair, but I still think Johnu will be more productive with his receptions. And if Mac Jones comes in, he has some upside. So I don't mind Johnu, mm-hmm. but I mean, you think Hunter Henry's being undersold though? Uh, yeah, I do because Hunter Henry's shown a lot of talent and they paid him a similar amount. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, all right. So let's do these last few tight ends and then we can go quickly because we got to, by the way, I think I probably will have recorded something that said it in between, but we didn't, we had to stop in the middle of the show and like go somewhere else. And Chris is because Chris and I were like both busy and stuff and there were different things, but Chris will have to go. So we'll have to, we can get, let's do these last few quick, but get good analysis in there. And this is this first tight end is a guy I've completely flipped on. I have completely flipped my stance on Logan Thomas. I was a Logan Thomas truther at the beginning of the offseason, but now with Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in, with Curtis Samuel coming in, this offense is going to look a lot different. The Air Coriel offense that they run in Washington is based on pushing the ball downfield. I mean, it's not like based on that, but like that's one of the key components is pushing the ball downfield. And they didn't get to do that last year due to bad quarterback play. I This year, it's going to change drastically. Fitzpatrick loves to target his one, which means lots of targets for Terry McLaurin, who's one of my favorite breakouts at wide receiver this year. Lots of targets for Curtis Samuel. He's going to get his manufactured touches. Antonio Gibson is going to develop into a true workhorse three down guy. Lots of receptions out of the backfield. He plays a lot like a wide receiver because he played one in college a lot for like half of his snaps. That doesn't leave a lot of space for Logan Thomas to produce as that underneath security blanket. I don't think Fitzpatrick's going to need him as much as other guys do. We saw that last year. Mike Gesicki wasn't really needed in Miami's offense when Fitzpatrick was playing. When Tua was out there, though, Gesicki produced a lot better. Logan Thomas is just, he was a necessity guy last year. I'm avoiding him this year. I mean, his price is just a little bit too high. Tight end nine? No, I'd rather have a guy like Gesicki or maybe even like Tyler Higby. I haven't really... I haven't finished my tight end rankings yet, but it's a tight end nine, a little bit high for me. 
And then my other guy, Robert yeah, Tunyon. This last... is pretty simple. Or do you, do you want to go or should I? Yeah, my last guy is no yes, fan. And this is just because I don't think talented. Like, genuinely, he hasn't shown that he can perform in, at a high level. And so I just don't think he's talented enough to be a top tight end. And I don't like Drew Locke either next. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know. Noah Fant is not going to have, like, the biggest target share ever, I don't think. And I think Chris is just going to leave right now because he's got to go. Sorry, he had to, like, talk softly, I think, because he's at a house with, like, some other people. So um, apologies for that. But still good analysis there. But, yeah, Noah Fant is uh, currently the tight end eight on Fantasy Pros. He is I, – I, I would – he's moderately talented. He hasn't shown, like, a full breakout. He was an early first-round pick for a reason. We were fading Noah Fant a lot last year, and now with Cortland Sutton coming back with Jerry Judy in that offense, and then Drew Locke as the quarterback, it's just too inconsistent. I don't expect a, a too consistent of a target share for him. Drew Locke probably will like to target him as a, sort of a security blanket, a necessity guy, so I don't mind him as much, but Chris is right. It's probably going to be a little bit inconsistent for him. So I'll just talk about my last guy, and then I will do the two-minute drill. I'll talk about the guy for two minutes. But yeah, uh, sorry about that, because we had to like, I'll just I'll talk about it I'm sure I won't talk about it now because I will talk about it in a note that I will have edited in that you will have already heard by now so uh it's okay my last got tight end like I was saying Robert Tunyon currently ranked as the tight end 10 on fantasy pros he's being faded pretty much pretty well but I think with Aaron uh, what am I trying to say he's being faded on a decent amount already on fantasy pros from his tight end three or tight end four fantasy finish last year but I don't know I, I, I I'm even still avoiding him even at that price I think there are higher upside guys than Robert Tunyon we don't even know if Aaron Rodgers is going to play like I talked about earlier this year we don't know if he's going to play and even if he does the touchdown rate is going to come soaring down and I mean Devontae a guy like Devontae Adams who put up a ton of yards can still produce with Aaron Rodgers throwing for less than 48 touchdowns but the main beneficiary of all those touchdowns was Robert Tunyon who on a limited target share dominated for fantasy because he caught a ton of touchdowns he's gonna still be a red zone threat for Aaron Rodgers don't get me wrong but 11 touchdowns for Robert Tunyon he's a good player but He's not like any sort of superstar. 11 touchdowns is what you give to a superstar tight end. That is going to sink. Robert Tunyon, I I don't even know. He's not going to really have very many productive fantasy weeks. He's going to be a touchdown-reliant guy like most later tight ends are. And he might be a streamable option, but most weeks he's not going to be satisfactory for you. So I expect his price to also rise a little bit in more casual leagues where people maybe sort of tuned out about like, the after the three touchdown game and after the uh I mean he was good throughout the whole season but people just sort of in more casual leagues where here the name value here he's connected to Aaron Rodgers and they'll take him but first of all Aaron Rodgers might not even play if he doesn't that's disastrous for Robert Tunyon he might get some security blanket targets from Jordan Love but I mean if Rodgers doesn't play the touchdown upside is just gone but even so the touchdown upside is dropping talked about his touchdown rate so much it's going to drop from the 9% to the 5 or 6%. His touchdowns are going to plummet from 48 to probably about 30. And Robert Tunyon, or, or less if he doesn't even play, and Robert Tunyon is going to be a bust next year. So, yeah, let's do the two-minute drill before we wrap up. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at SGFpod, at Calvin underscore SGF, at Chris underscore SGF, at SG Sports Talk for our live show, and subscribe to Second Goal Sports Talk on YouTube for the uh, live show, and you will um, 
want to check that out. I will do a solo live stream this Wednesday because Chris is on vacation. But uh, next week, he will be back for the show and subscribe because we want to get to 100 subscribers, get that custom channel URL. So let's do two-minute drill before we go. Joe Mixon is the guy we're talking about. I've got my two-minute timer up here, and we're starting. So Joe Mixon is a really interesting case. Very, very talented player. But over the first three years of his career, he has missed time due to injury. And last year, Joe Mixon struggled at the beginning of the year. He was very efficient, inefficient with his workload and had one blow-up game and then got injured and stayed out with that foot injury for the rest of the year. But yeah, over the first four years of his career, he's had trouble with efficiency at times. He's made up for it in some breakout games, but it's been a struggle behind his poor offensive line. But the Bengals have made offensive line improvements this offseason, drafting Jackson Carmen at guard in the second round, signing Riley Reef at tackle to a good amount of money, up to $7.5 million um, at tackle. They get Jonah Williams back at tackle. And that's three really, really solid additions. And uh, I think, actually, it looks like... Uh, Jackson Carmen, yeah, Jackson Carmen will play guard next year. He was drafted as a tackle or drafted. He played tackle in college, but drafted as a second round guy. So this team has confidence in him. It's clear and he should play right away. This should help out Joe Mixon. Also taking less pressure off him will be Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. That really, really good receiving core should help out a lot in terms of Joe Mixon's ability to uh, get space and their team's not stacking the box against him. His efficiency, she, his efficiency should increase. This team has shown a willingness to use him as a workhorse. Now with Giovanni Bernard gone, the team doesn't have like an elite or like a really good, not elite, but like a good pass catching specialist there. And Joe Mixon is a good pass catcher. So his receptions should be pretty solid as well. So overall, I mean, Injuries are a concern, but most running backs have problems with injuries. The average running back misses 2.7 games a season. So Joe Mixon is actually a guy that I'm rising on a little bit. I think you can take him as a high upside guy. Currently ranked on Fantasy Pros as the RB12, um, which is actually very, very high. So I guess, I, I mean, but I didn't even mind him at that price. Like maybe I'll take a guy like Antonio Gibson over him. But Joe Mixon could actually like he he's it's fine to draft him as a borderline RB one, just because he's got a lot of upside. And that is it. I went like a few seconds over, but that's it for two minute drill on Joe Mixon. So send us questions for the show at SGF pod at Calvin underscore SGF at Chris underscore SGF. If you want us to answer on Twitter, thank you for listening. Everyone apologies that Chris had to go, but again, we had scheduling and I'm sure you already heard about it. Um, and the thing that I recorded between the two parts of the episode, but we wanted to get this out for you guys. Uh, so it's out on Monday. Next week, we will have our rankings complete for the quarterback preview. So check on Monday morning, or maybe it might even be out, probably out Sunday night, but just it will be there Monday morning for your Scott Fishbowl drafts and for all your redraft leagues in July and August. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.